0: Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I want to teach today a message titled, Fasting for a Worshipful Walk. Fasting for a worshipful walk. Let me pray. Father, we dedicate this time to you because you have ordained and called for this time to happen. Lord Jesus, you built your ecclesia, those that are called out and assembled for a governmental purpose. And Isaiah said... Of the increase of your government, there will be no end. A government of righteousness and peace. So Lord, we're here as your people to hear from you. Holy Spirit, minister to hearts and minds. Reveal Jesus, I yield to you. Great teacher, great helper, great comforter. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time I had the privilege and honor of being in the pulpit, I concluded the December series looking at Noah and Enoch and the theme of walking with God. Pastor Craig kicked us off last week in opening this new series, 167, honoring God with every hour. It is a series that addresses the theme of one of the four anchor values here at DP. The anchor value of worship. Of worship. When you think about worship, I want to remind us of what T. Austin Spark said. He said worship is not going to some ecclesiastical building week by week. Or on the great feast days of the church, Easter, Christmas, and so on. Worship Is this, that life is for the Lord every moment, every hour, every day, every week, and every year? It is all for the Lord. That is worship. That is worship. That is walking with God. That is so often seemingly lost in modern Christianity. But this theme of walking is consistent throughout the Scripture. Did you know that Scripture says the devil walks? 1 Peter 5.8. Scripture says the wicked walk. Scripture says the godly walk. But the walk of the godly is done, quotation marks, before God. And this leads us to our text today. Genesis 17.1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Following Jesus the King in the New Testament Scripture is described as the following. Walk in newness of life. Walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham walk according to the Spirit, walk properly, walk by faith, walk in the Spirit, walk in the good works, walk worthy, walk in love, walk wisely, walk in the light, walk in truth. And all of this is summarized by what the Old Testament Scriptures called walk before. God. And again, in our main text, this is what we want to highlight. When God appears to Abram, he says, I'm Almighty God, and because I'm Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now, what's interesting about Abram is, Abram is said to have had the gospel, the gospel that you and I believe, to have had the gospel preached to him beforehand, before Jesus who is the foundation of the gospel, that Abram had the gospel preached to him beforehand. Abram, what's also unique about Abram, is said to have been the father of faith. And here is Abram, has the Lord appear to him and the Lord command him. And the Lord commands him something that is related to this series we're in in the month of January is of honoring God with every hour, And it was summarized in the phrase that God speaks to Abram, to walk before him and be blameless. It's like that T. Austin Sparks quote. That is worship. To walk before God and be blameless. When you think about the phrase, walk before me, I'm reminded of what the Spirit of Wisdom says in Proverbs 5 and verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Another one is Proverbs 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. What about the psalmist who said in Psalms 66 and verse 7, He rules by His power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Notice when we hear this phrase in Genesis 17 that God commands Abram, walk before me. When you think about walking before God, you got to understand the reason that is so important is that it highlights that our life is described as a walk before God. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord beholds the sons and the daughters of men. God walks the, watches the life of every person. He beholds the ways of man. The Lord's eyes are in every place. And he rules in his power and his eyes observes the nations before him. So our life is described as a walk. How we live the 167th Other hours of the week after we leave this gathering is described as our walk before God. But as I mentioned before, the godly, of course, walk, but they walk in a different way. The godly walk in a way that they walk before God. What does that mean? What does it mean not just to walk, but to walk before God? To walk before God means that we live with the awareness and the conscious knowledge that every hour of the week, is before the eyes of the Lord. We live with an awareness that we have been created by God, that He observes our life, that we're going to give an account for the life that He's given us. And this is foundational to the walk of the godly. Why? Because it's foundational to the fear of the Lord. And the Spirit of God says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Did you hear that when we read the way that the New Testament describes following Jesus, that one of the ways was called walk wisely? You can't, I can't, we can, as followers of Jesus, walk wisely without first having the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning, it is the foundation, it is preparation to be able to walk wisely and demonstrate wisdom as we walk before God. So all of this leads us to this issue of our focus. My focus, your focus our focus. See, the focus of the godly is walking before God. It's walking before God. When God sought out Abram, and He sought for him to demonstrate the walk of the godly and become the father of the faith, notice what God did not say. He did not say, walk before men, he didn't say walk before me, and why? Because what God was saying is is the godly focus on the reality that they're walking and living their life before me, and the godly don't walk with a constant focus on the opinions of men, on the opinions of society, on the tossing or on the craftiness and the the different moves of teaching and the constant ebb and flow of the craftiness despised by men that the godly don't focus on that which is shifting that which is like the sand of the seashore that the waves of teaching and opinions and culture that ebbs and flows no no the the godly focus on walking before God See, God didn't tell Abram for you to live and to fulfill the calling I have for you that your focus needs to be on how people perceive you, how how people's opinion of you, what others think of you. No, no. He said the focus is you need to walk before me, Abram. Why is that so important? Because the only chance you and I have to experience the other part of God's command to Abram. The only way that we can walk blameless is to first have our focus on God. To have our focus on God. Because the ability and the resources and what we need in order to walk blameless can only come from God. Listen to me. Man's opinion... And culture cannot give you the ingredients that you need to be able to walk blameless before God. Culture and people's judgments and opinions can't give me what I need, can't empower me to be able to walk blameless before God. So what God, when He comes to Abram, says, Abram, your focus has to be on walking before me. Why? Because everything that Abram needs to then fulfill the rest, be blameless, comes from God. And if our focus isn't on Him, listen, we're looking to the wrong people, we're looking to the wrong places, we're looking to, listening to the wrong voices to try to give us something that God says must come and can only come from me. So focusing on the opinion of others will not enable you to walk blameless before God. Now listen, I'm not talking about this is not baptizing or blessing or or sanctifying or saying it's okay to be a jerk before men. This is not saying that that how we treat others doesn't matter. Hold on, but what I'm saying is is when God comes to the person that Scripture calls the father of the faith that you and I have received. The beginning of that journey, as he says, your focus has to be on me, Abram. That is the foundation of the fear of the Lord, the the reverence that His eyes behold our life. And there's great comfort in that. But you're not forgotten. You might be overlooked by society and overlooked by a teacher and overlooked by, by peers, but you're not overlooked by God. His eyes are there on your walk. 167. God's eyes aren't on you just when we gather. His eyes are upon us every hour of every day. But listen... If you and I have a chance on reaching the world around us, it is not without us first walking blameless before God. However, let us be reminded, did you know that Scripture says Noah was a just man in an evil generation? And he walked blameless in his generation's because they lived long back then. So it doesn't just say, Scripture doesn't just say that he walked blameless and, and, and perfect. That's, that's a, another Scripture word for blameless. In his generation, it says generations. Generations. But listen, Noah walked blameless before God. And yet did not reach one person outside of his family. See, one of the great importance of what we're looking at today is there has been a subtle and then more focused shift and approach in Western Christianity the last 20 to 30 years. And that shift was is to begin to not walk before God, and be blameless in order to reach those around. The focus was on the people that we're trying to reach and their needs and what they're going through. And as we focus on that, that will be the way to reach them. We now know, because hindsight, twenty twenty, it's always easier to look back, but we know statistically... Statistic, say it for me. <laughs> we know through stati- statistics... And we know through research looking back that that did not create the type of followers that Jesus has called His people to raise up. We know that. So listen, when it comes to reaching the world and the hurting world and a world that's so desperate to understand the issue of sin and Righteousness and judgment. The seasons of God, the prophetic timeline of God, the ways of God, and the choices of individuals come into play regarding the world being reached. Here's Noah, he's walking blameless in his generations and yet was not able, as a preacher of righteousness, a demonstrator of righteousness, to see one person outside of his immediate family Follow His walk. Come to know the God who came to Abram and said, I'm Almighty God. So listen, saints. There's no guarantee that they will repent, that they will be reached if you and I surrender our will to His will and walk blameless before Him so that Christ can be manifested in many ways, to many people. Notice what our vision statement that God gave dwelling place is not. It's not manifesting Christ in many ways to ensure that everybody re- responds correctly to the King. We don't have the ability to ensure that. Our calling is to walk before God blameless so that Christ is manifested before them, but we can't make choices for individuals for themselves. We can call people to repentance. We can say that He's worthy, that that you should surrender your life because He's a worthy King that laid down His life out of sacrificial love and care for you. But yet we can't make people repent, turn, and trust in a wonderful Savior that we know that He is. A benevolent King, a righteous and just King. So this is exactly why the focus of the godly, listen, is first on walking before God. Not just a certain outcome desired from God. I'll say it again. This is exactly why the focus of the godly is first on walking before God, not just a certain outcome desired from God. Because if you and I, if we are consumed with an outcome or an outreach... Instead of walking before God, listen, we are setting ourselves up for great turmoil and difficulty when every outcome or desired result of ours does not happen. Listen, when the focus and the pressing priority of our walk and our focus is a desired outcome, we are setting ourselves up for hurt, for despair. We are being made more vulnerable to the enemy to come in and try to take advantage of when things don't go the way we wanted them to go. And that's why the walk of the godly focus is on God, whose eyes behold the sons and daughters of men, whose eyes are on the nations of the earth. Too often in seeking to reach people, we... Get too focused on walking before men. And this does not work. It is walking before God that makes us actually potential vessels to actually impact others with the kingdom of God. Listen, let me remind us again. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, no person can come to Jesus. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is necessary for convincing and convicting of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to happen. So if we have any chance for the work of the Holy Spirit to convict and to convince people around us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment, you then understand why the focus first and primarily must be on us walking before God and being blameless. Listen, we must not be the sort of churches that have succeeded in the eyes of men, but failing in the eyes of God. We must not spend more time in creative meetings than in meeting with the Creator. Many seeker-friendly churches have failed in making God feel welcomed. They've asked as the priority of what makes others feel welcome, and when the priority that God tells Abram is walk before me, what makes God feel welcome? It's His church. It's His ecclesia. We're called like Abram to walk before God first. That's the primary call. That is the core value of worship. But notice the text said, walk before me, Abram, I'm Almighty God. But then it said, and be blameless. And be blameless. In order to see the second part demonstrated and become a reality in our life, we need to understand righteousness. When we talk about the issue and the theme of 167 type worship and we're looking at the issue of walking before God, we must also understand the issue of righteousness. Let's talk for a moment about understanding righteousness. Before we talk deeply about understanding righteousness, let me ask all of us this question in a Georgia way. How come you walk How come you walk? Well, first, listen, because God gave you what was necessary to walk. But We have some beautiful, beautiful babies that I get to serve normally once a month. By God's grace and mercy, they're healthy. They've been given what was necessary to walk, but they're not walking. So first, you have to be given by God what's necessary to walk. But secondly, listen, you have to become aware of it and learn to use and apply it. So when we talk about walking blameless, we have to understand righteousness and how foundational it is to making that practical experiential, and a reality in our life. See, listen, righteousness is the foundation of our walk. What is righteousness? Well, listen, God provided and made a way, and He gave and accomplished what was necessary for you and I to be in right standing with Him. In the Old Testament, as God began to reveal Himself more and more, one of His names, which represents His character, is Unchanging Nature. He said, I'm Jehovah's Sit Canoe. I am the Lord, your righteousness. And God foretold for thousands of years that he was going to make a way to be our righteousness. See, the Old Testament system and covenant we'll talk about was not a way to actually make his creation righteous, it was a way to cover our unrighteousness so that we would be in a position to still be able to relate to God and experience His blessing. That's what the old covenant was. But God knew that He would send His Son. His Son, Jesus, was said to be slain from the foundation of the world. Listen, God made a way for you and I to be reconciled and restored back to a right relationship with him and that way is the person of Jesus Christ through Jesus's crucifixion and death burial and resurrection God has made a way for us to have the right to have a relationship with him for that actually is what eternal life is it's not just duration it's the quality it's being able to live forever in a right relationship with our creator so listen Christ became and is our righteousness. God provided for you and I what we could never provide for ourselves. He provided for us right standing with Himself. That's why when you look at the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the foundation of the New Covenant, even when God prophesied about it in the Old Testament, go check me out and look at it. God said, I will, I will, I will. I will. Listen, before you and I can walk blameless before God and His eyes, God had to do something to make it potentially possible for you and I. And He did it through the finished work in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So understanding righteousness that God has provided for you and I, something we could never provide for ourselves, that He has dealt with our sins, He has dealt with our transgressions, He has put away our past, He has forgotten and released it from His memory. And then He has made us righteous and put us on an unchanging solid foundation of Christ and His finished work and our trust in His perfect work. He's made a way for us to be reconciled and right before Him. This is foundational for us to have the possibility of walking blameless. Can I share for a moment for my personal journey? What I have found for my personal journey is you must, of course, understand righteousness because it's foundational to walking before God and being able to walk blameless before God. But if you and I are going to experience walking blameless before God, I found something else is needed. We have to understand righteousness. We have to understand Jesus is our foundation and our righteousness. But something else is needed regarding our soul and our will being surrendered. When I think about my journey of when am I walking at my best before God, when am I walking at my best with the reality and the awareness that His eyes are constantly beholding, Beholding my words, beholding my thoughts, beholding my behaviors, beholding my conduct, beholding my priorities, beholding my choices, beholding my stewardship. When I'm at my best, I find these scriptures are mindful and being meditated upon my heart. The first is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judged thus, that if one, Jesus died for all, then He Then all died. Watch this, verse 15. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. When I'm walking at my best, I'm accepting the full gospel, not just a partial gospel. That Jesus died not just for forgiveness of sins and then I could go about living my life the way I lived it before. Not before the eyes of God, not with an awareness of His purpose for me, His will for me, but just living for any purpose I want, living for my will. Listen, when I'm at my best, I'm accepting in my heart and aware in my mind that Jesus died so that you and I would no longer live the rest of our time on earth for ourselves but that our life would no longer be our life, that it would actually be His life. Let me give you another one, Colossians 3, 1 and 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3, for you died, follower of Jesus, believer, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul says, hey, believers, you died. I died. Our old life died. Our self-will died. And Christ is now our life. He's now our life. This new life, listen, is His life. This new life we have is for His will and purpose. The third is Romans 8, 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Paul says, listen, a follower of Jesus, a believer, God's number one purpose for your life, the end that he's working towards, is that you and I would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When I'm living with the awareness that God's number one goal and purpose for my life is not for me to be happy, it's not for me to get everything that I want. It's not to get everything I want the way I want it that the main purpose of my life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that God is after a host, a multitude of sons and daughters that bear the same image of the Father just like Jesus did. That shouldn't be shocking. That's how it all started in Genesis 1. When God made the first man and, and woman, Adam and Eve, and that first married couple, He said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with my image, with my character. Nothing's changed. It was delayed, but God made a way. Jesus is that way. So listen to me. When I'm walking at my best, I am at rest with these truths. That I'm no longer Lord. It's no longer actually my life. It's His life. You know why? Because He actually gave up His life. You understand? He gave up His life on earth. 33 years. He could have lived forever on earth. He gave up his life on earth so that he could gain access to our earth and live his life through us. It's called a good return on investment. That's why he equates his life as a seed. He says if a seed stays alone and doesn't die, it remains by itself. But if a seed dies... Becomes many. Jesus was the seed. And he died and was buried so that now he can live his life through you and I. Why is this important? Because remember what God tells Abram? Walk before me, watch this, and be blameless. And you and I, we might get, and most of you do get, that's why you're here, the part of the fear of the Lord. The the part that you and I are going to give an account to our Creator. We have that foundation of the beginning of wisdom. We have that that reverential awareness. But when we hear the next part and be blameless, we say, not a chance. Or the enemy instantly throws into your heart and your mind your past failures, your struggles, your slowness of heart to believe. Your mistakes. And that's what comes back to, that's why we have to understand righteousness. Understand these truths. That Jesus gave up His life so that now He can live His life through us. The way to be blameless isn't dependent on us. God made a way. And Jesus is that way. And the Spirit of Jesus now lives in us to live that way before God through us. And that's why Scripture keeps coming back to the issue of trust. Listen, it's not learning to trust in our ability to walk blameless. It's learning to trust the full gospel that Christ in us is the sufficiency and the only way to make that possible. It's not trusting or being consumed and focusing on our past failures or on our process. It's learning to focus what Hebrews said on Jesus, the beginner but the finisher of our faith. So, understanding righteousness, being at rest with these truths, position me, and I'm confident we'll position you for number three the sacrifices. Of righteousness. By definition, if you look in the dictionary of the word sacrifice, they define it as the offering of animal, plant, or human life or of some material possession to a deity as in homage. That's how sacrifice is defined. Did you know sacrifice is a consistent theme through Scripture? just as walking before God is a consistent theme. And to live 167 hours not for my own wants, my own desires, my own will, my own plans, my own pursuits, but for God, certainly, listen, involves the issue of sacrifice. And the importance of sacrifice and offering does not differ in the Old and the New Testament. The value and the importance on sacrifice and offering sacrifices is just as important in the Old Covenant as it is in the New. What differs is some of the types of sacrifices that God commands. Now, before I begin to break this down, let's look at what the psalmist said in Psalms 4 and verse 5. In Psalms 4 and verse 5, it says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. That's important. And put your trust in the Lord. He's saying your heart, your will, the way you walk is to be involved. It's not just routine or religion, but it's relationship. That God's not just after us sacrificing or offering something, even in the Old Covenant. He was after their trust and their heart that He's Almighty God as they walk before Him. Meaning, right standing with God is first relationally before it's sacrificial. I'll say it again. Right standing with God is first relational before it's sacrificial. It's first about have you related correctly and responded correctly to Jesus Christ before it's about then sacrificing. Why is this important? Because I'm working towards the end goal of my message of talking about fasting. And fasting does not make us more righteous. We have to understand righteousness before we can understand what Scripture calls the sacrifices of righteousness. One of them being fasting. Look at Psalm 51 and verse 19. He says, Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, They then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So in the Old Covenant, part of the sacrifices was literally animals. But I've not heard any sheep bleeding in the gathering today. I had not seen any of you bring a cage with doves and pigeons. In the Old Testament though, part of the sacrifices was animal sacrifices through the Levitical system. But never forget that even when there was animal sacrifices through the old covenant, God was not just after the ritual and He wasn't just after animals. Did you notice in Psalms 51, 19 it said, Then you shall be pleased. Well, you got to read the Scriptures in front of that. And you know what the Scriptures in front of that says? That the sacrifices of God that pleases Him is a broken and a contrite heart. What he's saying is what the psalmist said. Offer to God sacrifices, but trust in the Lord. He's after relationship, not just routine. And so God is pleased with the broken, a surrendered, a contrite heart. Then from that foundation, we can offer sacrifices. Sacrifices. We can put our trust in the Lord and walk before Him, blameless. It's relationship before rituals. Listen, it's... Receiving the gift of righteousness before seeking to offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Proverbs 21 and 3, it says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do righteousness is more acceptable than an actual bull or a dove. Why? Because God's after our heart. He's not just after ritual. He's after doing right as we relate to Him who is right. The Apostle John said that he that is righteous practices righteousness. Listen, he doesn't say that we practice righteousness to get righteousness. No, no, no. He that is righteous practices righteousness. You have to have the foundation of understanding righteousness before we can work correctly, theologically correct, through the issues of the sacrifices of righteousness. In Hebrews 10, 5 and 6, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear of God's heart, God's intent. He says, therefore, when he, the Son of God, Jesus, came into the world, he, God, said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. God didn't have pleasure in the ritual and the animal sacrifices without having the relationship and the trust of the people doing it. And Jesus fulfilled the worship the Father was after. He was perfect in living as a living sacrifice for the Father. Notice, God prepared an actual body to be the sacrifice. You know what this sounds like? What Pastor Craig preached last week from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 that you got a free week because he's not here to memorize it before he's here next week. (laughs) In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it said that the act of worship is to present yourself as a living sacrifice. That what pleases God is what Jesus demonstrated, that his body, his life, his doing was lived consistently before the eyes of the Father walking blameless as a living sacrifice. And we're called to the same. The interesting thing is the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were always killed. And yet Paul here in Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that you and I are called to present our body just like Jesus did, but as a living sacrifice. I thought sacrifice is that. How is it a living sacrifice? Listen, this is the mystery of the death and resurrection life of the new covenant. That my old life died. And this new life you're looking at is commanded to no longer just be my life. It's His life. What did God desire? He desired a body. My body and my being is His dwelling place for His resurrected life to live and manifest through it. Now watch this. The gospel starts... On that scale, individual. Individually. Individual body. The kingdom first comes in an individual's heart and life. But did you know then the scripture says that beyond the individual body, he's got another body? The body of Christ. That in relating to that body, you're just one member. One member. So listen... When God looks at dwelling place, ultimately, for us to walk before Him and be blameless, we have to understand righteousness that as we fast these next seven days, as we have all night prayer this coming Friday, that that alone, if it's done just as a routine, does not please God. That what He's after is a body that's prepared for Him and His life. And then from that understanding, things are offered to him. See, this is hard for oftentimes us to accept. Because we live in a world where like if you own a business and you have employees and staff, and they're sort of your your, your corporate body, you can mandate stuff and absolutely make it happen because if not, you fire and you get new people. The body of Christ is not like that. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've had to help guide the zeal of younger brothers and sisters with the wisdom of God of understanding. That it's not that what you're saying is not important or a part of the heart of God. It's that to get that type of offering and sacrifice to come out of God's body, the body must prepare themselves for his life first. And I and you on our own can't make people do that. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, do you know how he started off when he said, be a living sacrifice to God and present your body? He said, I'm pleading and I'm begging and I'm urging. He didn't say I'm making, I'm... I I can absolutely get you to that place, but he said, "I'm, I'm appealing to you, and that's why I just spent 11 chapters talking about the mercy of God and the grace of God and the foundation of righteousness, hoping it would bring you to a place of the sacrifice that pleases God, which is a broken and contrite heart. From that, a body can manifest Christ in many ways. A body can, man, offer to God many Sacrifices of righteousness. But this is the underlying preparation. As a living sacrifice, we then can offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Let me talk about some sacrifices of righteousness. The first one I want to make mention of is the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says that when you praise, like we gave opportunity earlier, that that's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise. When Paul wrote his first epistle, 1 Thessalonians, he makes in it, because it was his first, a lot of what we call the clearly revealed will of God for every believer in every place. And he said, this is the will of God, that in everything you give thanks and rejoice always. That sounds a lot like 167. That at all times, in all hours, in all things, we're a living sacrifice, and as a living sacrifice, one of the sacrifices we're given is a sacrifice of praise. Praise. The other one I want to next mention is prayer. Did you know Paul, in the same epistle, when he talks about the uh, the clearly revealed will of God, he says, pray without ceasing. That sounds a lot like 167, friends. To pray, to live a life as a living sacrifice, conscience of communing with your Creator, whose eyes behold the sons of men, who the godly walk before with this awareness. Living sacrifice. The next is serving. Serving. To serve the faith of others. To sacrifice of your time and your talents and your treasure. To serve and to help create a context where others can experience Jesus and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him who can be taught all things that He's commanded to mature to the image of Jesus. Another one is giving of our finances and charitable deeds. When Jesus in Matthew 6, when He begins to proclaim and declare the culture of His community of disciples that He was forming. Him being the real Moses. Like Moses went up on a mountain and got commands and came back and told the people. Jesus went up on a mountain. The people gather and He begins to cast the vision of His culture. And in Matthew 6, He said, When you pray, when you give, and when you fast. giving." Is part of the sacrifice of the righteous. Listen, giving, this is where people, you can take this and apply across the board. So much tension happens between brothers and sisters or denominations because they get what I'm talking about confused. Giving don't make you more righteous. But if you do it in faith, it'll get you in a position for God to get more to you. Because he said the kingdom of God... Paul said when it comes beyond the tithes, it's sowing and reaping. And Paul's very clear. You don't need to know Greek, Hebrew. You don't need to study culture. He said if you sow, you give a little offering, you reap a little. If you sow a lot abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. So people start fighting because they think when they hear and because of ignorance and not being taught and knowing that They think that people are saying, if you give, that makes you like more of a child of God. No, no, no. don't make you more righteous. It's a sacrifice of the righteous. But the more you sow, the more you can reap. Then the next one I want to mention. We want to look at this one. I I didn't give it to him, but I'm going to read it to you. Philippians 1 and verse 11. Philippians 1 and verse... 11, Paul says, I'll start in verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that sounds like walking blameless before God till the coming of Jesus, look at verse 11, being filled, everybody say filled. Filled. It's what your stomach's about not to be. (laughs) Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by your sweat, blood, and tears. No, no, no. Listen. Which are by Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. This is the fruits of righteousness. See, these sacrifices of righteousness are called fruits of righteousness because this, they are only made possible on the grounds of Jesus' life dwelling within us and on the grounds of His grace that has made us righteous. The reason they're called the fruits of righteousness is because the only way they are even possible is because God made a way. And that way is Jesus, that He became our righteousness, our right standing, and He is our right standing. But they're also called a sacrifice, listen, because we do them as we walk before God through faith, with discipline, regardless of how we feel or what we face. The fruits of righteousness are sacrifices of righteousness. Now let me talk about the fourth, fasting. Fasting. Fasting by biblical definition is abstaining from food or drink for a godly purpose. Now notice that end of that definition, a purpose. You don't find ever people fasting and offering this type of sacrifice of the righteous, that's the way maybe to help get it in your hard mind to understand it, should say to yourself, it's not just the sacrifice of, of righteousness, it's the sacrifice of the righteous. We're already in a right standing, we're already reconciled. But because of that, out of that relationship with God, we offer sacrifices unto Him. Through faith, not routine, but out of relationship. But listen, but not just when we feel like it, but with discipline. With discipline. Because remember, you can't ever feel like doing something that you've never done before. If it's challenging. That's why New Year's uh, resolutions don't work. Because you can't just feel like doing something new. The feelings come after the intention, discipline of sacrificing and doing what's necessary. But notice for a godly purpose. Listen, I have had times where I've spent more time trying to figure out what type of fast I was going to do than the actual purpose of the fast. We don't want that. What's the purpose? I want to challenge you today. One, every one of you to do something on this fast. Something. On the seven-day fast, starting today. You already ate, maybe, and you didn't know. You can start tomorrow, whatever. But you need to write down your purpose. When you look in Scripture, you'll find that every fast, they were clear on the purpose. On the purpose. I want to tell you some that I'm believing for, for you and for me and for us. The first is our attention. Everything around us is buying for our attention. And I mean buying because by your attention, they make profit of you. Everything is buying for your attention because if they get your attention, they will make money off of your attention. And the psalmist said in Psalms 119, 37, come on keys, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. On this fast, one of the purposes I want to encourage you to make your purpose along with mine is that our attention would get back focused on living and walking before God. That that would be the primary focus. That where our eyes have been looking at the opinions of men or the wrong things of culture or whatever it may be, that our focus would be revived back to the author and finisher of our faith. Our first love, Jesus Christ. The one for some of you many years ago who captured your heart being the king that would lay down his life and die for you. So fasting to redirect our focus. That we're walking before God 167 hours a day. The second is to be attentive. Attentive. Attentive to His Word. Not the opinions of others. Attentive to His voice, not just the voice of others. Did you know, and this is challenging to all of us, but you want to know it's a fact, whether we like it or not. There's only one mind in the, in the body of Christ. called the mind of christ there's only one mind in the body of christ the mind of christ everything else our opinions the places we're still trying to operate on our mind and our understanding listen that ain't gonna be in the kingdom it's the mind of christ we are called now vessels to be vessels of his life including not just his will not just his word but his mind but I can't give my mind if I'm still always trying to depend on or his mind if I'm always trying to depend on my mind so when there's friction you know what the scripture says between people between us or even between unbelievers it says this is scriptural teaching when there gets friction that it's such a quarrel you know what it says to do just to walk away. Cuz you can't get two people trying to understand and live life on their own mind to come to agreement on his mind. And when it's the debate is that much, he says walk away. When we're too invested, we can't surrender our opinion, and our judgments for his opinion, his judgment, his mind. And that's for me as well. But listen, Psalms 119, 123. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation in your righteous word. That we would be attentive to His voice. And that's my prayer. That with the tensions around us, who to listen to, who to believe, what is actually news that's not pure because it's self-interest, which is like every unbeliever has self-interest. So I mean... What do you do? i tell you what we do. We need to get attentive to His voice. I don't need all the voices to become my main factor on what we need to do as a people of God and as a church. We need His voice. And if we can get his voice, I don't care what it sounds like, looks like to the world or the opinions around us. We'll walk before God and we'll have his joy and peace and his witness. Just like when Enoch walked with God, he had a witness that he pleased God. It never says Enoch pleased the world and the culture around him, but he pleased God. My God, if we can do anything else as a people, that's got to be a priority. I please culture and have a voice with culture if we don't please God. We need to please God and walk before him. But to do that, I need His voice. And that's what fasting does, is it's posturing and positioning yourself to say, God, there's so many voices. There's so much clamor. There's so much opinions. And Lord, I'm humbling myself to say that even above bread and even above sweets and even above food, I need Your voice. I need to hear this is the way you walk therein. The next is that we would be attuned. Attuned attuned in our step that we wouldn't move too fast or ahead of jesus and we wouldn't move too slow we would be in step with the spirit attuned to his will and his way another thing of fasting is that listen that we would be emptied out to be filled within that When we fast, one of our purposes is, God, empty out of me everything that the devil's put in me, everything that I've allowed this world or others to put in me that you don't want so that I can be filled with you yourself, King Jesus. That I can be filled with your character, filled with your spirit, that could can be filled with what you want to be within me. Listen to me. You want some motivation? Purpose of fasting is fasting will get you there faster. I don't know all of what your there is, but I'll tell you this, fasting will get you to whatever you're there there is faster. If it's the call of God upon your life, if it's the freedom in Christ that you've been called to, to stand fast in, if it's to the broken places of your heart being healed, fasting will get you to whatever you're there there is faster. Because fasting is like adding gasoline to the fire of your prayer and the fire of your life being a living sacrifice. It'll get you there faster. Just like having fire in a combustion combustional engine and, and engines got you here faster than if you were riding your bike. Fasting will get you to that there faster. Because fasting, listen, it's like a constant prayer, a continual petition before God. It's like a constant prayer. What you do is you take the time you would normally eat you would normally be on social media. You would normally be watching television. And you pull aside and you go to the secret place. You say, God, like Moses, I'm not going forward without you revealing your manifest presence. I need your voice. I need your clarity. I need your way. The more responsibility you get in life, the easier it should be to feel the need of that But even if you don't have the responsibility, may the Spirit of God realize that the need is just as great for you. Even if you're just responsible for yourself. Some practical things to remember is that if you're doing a water or liquid only, as many of us will be doing for seven days, you need to drink a minimum of a gallon of water a day. At some point you say, my back's hurting during the fast. Listen, it's not your back, it's your kidneys. You're not drinking enough water. Your kidney's telling you to drink more fluid. Many of you, in the beginning, you'll get a headache because of the toxins that are filled in our foods. Say, well, I'm just going to eat organic and all that. Listen, we live in a world where you can't control all that. That's why God gave us fasting. Fasting's how he'll get out of our body what needs to get out. So like Isaiah 58 said, his healing can spring forth speedily in our life. Thousands upon thousands of testimonies of God's healing power, healing, springing forth in His people when they obeyed this sacrifice of the righteous that Scripture talks about. It's a promise. But headache, that's toxins leaving your body or it's the symptoms that your body had been chemically dependent on something. Bad breath, odor, that's toxins leaving. That's one of the reasons Jesus said when you fast, anoint yourself. What He said is brush your teeth, take a shower, because I know some toxins are coming out of you. Let me tell you some other toxins that will come out of you. Things that you got and allowed to get in you. Bad attitudes. Listen, the fast that I offer to the Lord when I've already been having my heart at rest with those truths that it's not my life and I've been walking blameless, those are great fast. Because it just moves you faster to experience promises and, and what God wants. But the fast where I've allowed a lot of things to turn my attention and a lot of voices and a lot of things to get in, listen, those don't start out great. Because he got to get that stuff out before he can get himself and his uh, fruit in. So for some of you, if you've given place to the enemy in those things, there's going to be some warfare in the beginning. Because the enemy is going to try to challenge and hold on to the places you've given him. And he said, no, I'm submitting to God. Fasting is one of the greatest ways to accelerate your posture of submitting to God. To his word, his will, his way. And then, James said, resist the devil and he'll flee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.